You're listening to a best of edition of Stacy on the Right. She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Mr. Smollett is the one that orchestrated this crime. Bogus police reports cause real harm. President Trump says an Alabama woman who joined ISIS in Syria will not be allowed to re-enter the U.S. There has been no Russian collusion except by uh, Hillary Clinton and Steele and, and all of those folks that were using the Russians to get dirt. The idea that President Trump needed to collude with Russia in order to beat Hillary Clinton is frankly laughable. And now, Stacey Washington. Welcome to the program. Thank you for being with us today. I'm so excited to have Arielle Davidson, frequent guest of the show and good friend of mine. I love chatting with her. She's going to come on and talk to us about news of the day, of which there is so much. Um, I first want to just start off right now on this on this uh, segment with a Democrat. And you're going to hear in his voice, he's got a lot of disgust going on about Bernie Sanders not being a Democrat, but running on the Democratic ticket and what I, my sincere hope is that for people who find themselves in no man's land because they don't find themselves, you know, agreeing with everything in the Republican Party platform, of which you first have to know what's in it before you can disagree with it. Um, just calling it racist isn't good enough anymore. You have to step up. You have to raise your game. Get at our level. Know what both platforms say. Then make a choice. That's a choice I can respect. If you have no idea what the Republican Party platform is. How can you say you don't agree with it? How can you call all the people in it racist if you have no idea what it says? So here he is. He's talking about Sanders not being a Democrat and not representing his ideals. And how can he run on the D side? It's number one. I don't understand why Bernie Sanders, who does not want to become a member of the Democratic Party. He vowed he would run. And if he wins, rule, you know, reside as a Democrat. Run as a Democrat. We've asked him on a continuous basis. If, in fact, you want to be the Democratic nominee, you should be a Democrat. If you're not a Democrat, you should not run. He should run as an independent. Uh, He's not a Democrat. So to me, I wouldn't allow a Republican to run as a Democrat for the Democratic nominee. You don't think he should be allowed to run in the Democratic Party? I don't think he should be a Democrat. I think that he should say if he wants to be a Democrat, he should register in the Democratic Party. And then you can talk about running and to be my representative. Mm. I want a Democrat to be my representative uh, as president of the United States. Uh, what's wrong with that? Like, does that not make sense? If, if, if you're not going to have somebody actually running as the party that their ticket is for, then what's the point of having parties at all? Um, so if, if that's what they're looking for, if they're looking for just any old person, which they're already having problems with any old person, look at AOC, look at, uh, the 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 anti-Semite that they have running around and she's wearing a, the Islamic sign of oppression for women every day into the halls of, of our legislative body. I mean, these are important places that she's running around with that headscarf on. And that is the symbol, the international symbol of oppression of women is that they're forced to wear that headscarf and cover up their hair and their necks because some man might get excited over seeing their hair. And so you know, again, victim oppression, they have to wear that. And, and she goes around, spends a lot of her time talking about horrible, just making the most horrible anti-Semitic comments. And that's supposed to represent Democrats. Separate them off from the herd. 
just because they have constituency groups that propel them into those offices, they should not hold committee positions. They should. These are not people you want in charge of important things. Yeah, they got elected. They're duly elected. There's nothing you can do about it. But to leave them and in their places without addressing their anti-Semitism, to to give them power by putting them on committees with influence over millions of voters. No, no, that is where you're supposed to say, uh, not today. No, thank you. I don't want that for my country, for for my political party. I mean, have some pride about what you're you're voting for. Have something that you can say, you know, I, I don't support all of it, but I can at least say we're not pushing anti-Semitism. Can you say that as a Democrat right now? Not with these ones that you got running around they're anti-Semitic. They're speaking at groups and organizations that hate Jewish people. And Jewish people are a part of the fabric of this country. Jewish people are Americans too. And they have every right to expect that no matter what political persuasion you're coming from, you're not going to promote and advance the cause of wiping them out and eliminating their country of origin, which is the nation state of Israel. That, 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 that shouldn't be a partisan aim. That shouldn't be something that you're, well, I can only be you know, against anti-Semitism if I'm a Republican or no, how about if you're just a good human being? How about if you just have a few morals about yourself? I'm not even going to talk about how many you got, do, you know, not, not trying to put anything on you or anything, but do you have any morals about yourself? Do you care about anything besides taking money from rich people and giving it to yourself? I mean, you know, you got to have some standards. So that, that just, I feel like it's kind of driving me a little bit crazy that we're not seeing more Democrats push back on this anti-Semitism that is just, it's all out in public for everyone to see. So pivoting over to the botched bureaucratic coup, because we can thank God that even though we're not seeing people being prosecuted as of yet who are participating in this attempt to unseat a duly elected president, it's not working. Their idea was that President Trump would have already been impeached by now, that the Mueller report would have come out, showed him as a Russian colluder, and that they, whether it was made up or true or not, they didn't care, and that he would have already been removed from office to make sure that Ruth Bader Ginsburg could be replaced by a suitable, progressive, you know, Marxist, on the way to communism, Democrat. But that's not happened yet. So we have things to celebrate. But it's frustrating because we know the Mueller report is slated, you know, rumors have it, everyone's reporting, it's coming out next week. And so this CBS, this is actually a mashup of the CBS reporter talking about how Mueller likely won't charge anyone with Russian collusion. Now, later in the show, I have a little bit of audio for you. It's, it's enraging, but you got to hear it uh, from NBC and CBS promising that the Russian investigation will continue regardless of the Mueller report findings. So they don't care what the Mueller report says. Remember, they said, just let the re report continue. Just let the investigation continue. We want assurances. We want a bill that President Trump won't end the Mueller investigation. Well, notice they're not talking about that anymore because they already know it's coming and it's not going to be what they want. So they're just going to keep investigating him into oblivion. Into They'll still be investigating him when he's gone on to be with the Lord and his grandkids are running for office. They'll still be investigating whether Donald Trump was an, uh, you know, a Russian asset is what they're fond of calling him over at uh, CNN and MSNBC. So here's number three. It's this is CBS. We haven't seen a narrative essentially for everyone wrapping it all together and connecting the dots, essentially outlining the criminal conspiracy or collusion, if you will. Do you expect that? I do not. At this point, I do not think that they are going to charge anyone with a conspiracy uh, between Russia or anyone in the campaign. There have been other people who have run afoul of other laws. But at this point, it is not my expectation that anyone will be charged with conspiracy or, as people like to call it, collusion. Okay, so... Conspiracy and collusion are not the same thing, first of all. She said conspiracy 
or as some people like to call it, collusion. So first of all, what is conspiracy? Um, the definition of conspiracy is the act of conspiring together an agreement among conspirators, a group of conspirators that, so, uh, you know, conspira conspiracy is not the same as what she said, what other people like to call collusion. Uh, so let's, what's, what's the definition of collusion? Because words matter. Collusion is a secret agreement between two or more parties to limit open competition by deceiving, misleading, or defrauding others of their legal rights. So they're not the same thing. So I don't know what she's talking about or what J school she went to or what kind of dictionary she has access to on all of her smart devices, but it, it, it isn't this or that when they're not direct synonyms. In other words, she probably should look up before she goes back on television. So now let's talk about why we should at least have some, you know, maybe a little bit of joy over the fact that this is not actually happening the way they keep saying it should have happened. Um, so I found this piece over at the American Spectator. And, you know, first of all, I know a lot of us, especially those of us who are, you know, heavy news consumers, are really disappointed that Andrew McCabe is being treated like some kind of celebrity like he just won, uh, you know, the latest uh, series of, of Survivor or something like that, or like he's the new Bachelor, instead of him being in a federal penitentiary. He has committed perjury on multiple occasions. He participated in an attempt to alter the outcome of a national election. He colluded with other rogue bureaucrats to remove a duly elected president from power. But the, the shiny, the silver lining, the, the, the reason why we can all kind of, you know, do our Snoopy dance and go on into the weekend with no issues besides the knowledge that God is in control is that Donald Trump's still in office and Hillary Clinton is still running around in $12,000 house suits trying to convince everyone that she's actually going to mount a credible assault on the presidency in 2020. That, that's where the, the, that's where we get to rejoice, and it's also where we see the level of Trump derangement syndrome. It just keeps ratcheting up. Instead of decreasing with time, it gets more and more palpable for people who participated in this or people who wanted to see this go through because it was a failure. They had everything lined up. It should have fallen like a, a row of dominoes. They should have been able to pull this off, but they weren't. And that's why we see people just losing their minds. So... You know, you got McCabe going on 60 Minutes. He's all over the media. People are treating him like he's a very credible, interesting person that we should all listen to. And we know the reality. If Hillary Clinton had been elected president, very few people would have known who Andrew McCabe was. The outrageous corruption that characterized his career and the crimes of his co-conspirators would have been covered up by Hillary Clinton and her administration. And the media would have insisted with they would with pleasure, you know, when someone says I'm at your service, they would have been completely at the service of the Clinton administration and covering this up. So enduring his celebrity right now is a small price to, pr to pay for avoiding the nightmare of President Hillary Clinton. President Hillary Clinton is something we will never, ever have to hear. Thanks in part to Donald Trump literally eviscerating her credibility and telling her she'd be in jail. The things that he did on the campaign trail and, and the prayers of the saints that kept that thing going, that's why we don't have to worry about a Hillary Clinton presidency. So, you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes you, 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 when you're looking for the silver lining, you find it's not just a lining, it's a full-blown, you know, 
platinum and gold plated lining and it's fantastic and it's worth a lot and you need to really be grateful that you have it. And that is where we have to kind of reside. We have to get in that spot and sit in it. And I'm talking about also truth ultimately prevailing. Yes, many, many millions of us know that Andrew McCabe is a liar and and a subverter of justice. One day, everyone will know it. But right now, we have to be satisfied with what we can get. Now, um, pains are going to be taken to bring the truth to light about Andrew McCabe and all of his co-conspirators. GOP Senator Lindsey Graham was actually on Face the Nation on CBS And he said this, we're going to find out what happened here. And the only way I know to find out is to call the people in under oath and find out through questioning who's telling the truth because the underlying accusation is beyond stunning. He goes on. There's an allegation by the acting FBI director at the time that the deputy attorney general was basically trying to do an administrative coup and take the president down through the 25th Amendment process. So we see. Rosenstein is due to, uh, you know, leave his position at the end of next month. We don't know what kind of, you know, screw turning and, you know, uh, muscling he performed to get to stay there as long as he's staying, or if it was a political calculation by the president that firing him would only bring another special counsel and put, you know, the, the continuance of the Trump agenda in jeopardy. And so we have to kind of just take it at the face value. He's going to be there until the end of next month, and that's all we can do. Now, Graham actually made these comments on CBS because Andrew McCabe claimed that Rod Rosenstein raised the possibility of invoking the 25th Amendment. Now, this is a serious, serious thing. If, there, if it was raised with any validity, then you would see a natural process by which a president would have been removed. But the idea that it was discussed as a means to remove him simply because he was a part of the opposition party to where they sit. Now, that sounds a lot like collusion. Remember, we just went over that definition. You're trying to deprive someone of their rights, their lawful rights. The president has been duly elected and it is his right to serve out the remainder of his term without being removed by someone simply because they don't like the political party that he's in. So. I, I, you know, we're going into the weekend. Uh, we, we have to, you kind of have to put it in your toolkit and remember just for quick rapid recall that Andrew McCabe lied multiple times to federal investigators. That was the official finding of a February 2018 39 page report by the DOJ Office of Inspector General. They found McCabe, then deputy director of the FBI, lacked candor in answering questions and the referral for further action went to the DOJ. That's why we don't give him any credibility. We'll put up with him, but we know who he is. When we get back, we'll have Ariel Davidson. Stay there. Here's Walker Wildman for Redeem Clean Laundry Products. Not only do you get a great product and you get to obviously clean your clothes, get the stains out and use a multi-surface cleaner to clean your countertops and use the dryer sheets. You're doing all of this and the money's going to support the work of American Family Association. Redeem Clean Laundry products were developed by AFA supporters Len Ingram and Jim Duncan to assist in funding the mission of the American Family Association. Redeem Clean products work as well as or better than other products on the market. They're environmentally safe, biodegradable, and they're made right here in the United States. The great thing about Redeem Clean is not only is the product great, 
but it goes to support a great cause, and that is the work of American Family Association. For clean laundry and a cleaner society, it's Redeem Clean. Visit redeemclean.afastore.net. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. You know, according to a new U.S. Census Bureau report, the millennial generation has been reversing some of the social trends that were true of previous generations. For example, about one-third of all millennials still live with their parents. They also apparently rely on them financially as well. The millennial generation is also postponing marriage, having children later, and buying homes later. Instead, they are pursuing education and various job opportunities. Many of these reverse trends have taken place recently. In 2005, only 25% of those between the ages of 18 and 34 lived with their parents. Today, that number is 34%. To put this in perspective, more people in this age group live with their parents than live with a spouse. Education is one reason for this remarkable change. Young women are much more likely to attain a college degree than just a few decades ago. They're also much more likely to have a full-time job. By contrast, young men are slightly less likely to be employed than in recent past. Another study done by the firm AgeWave in partnership with Merrill Lynch uncovered how much parents were financially helping their adult children. When mom and dad give their adult children $100 here and $200 there, it adds up. The average amount given is $6,800 annually. Some financial counselors suggest that parents reconsider this and instead shore up their own retirement nest eggs. Millennials are also marrying later in life. In 1976, 85% of women and 75% of men had been married by age 29. Today, only 46% of women and 32% of men say they were married before they turned 30. Instead, many more are living together. Cohabitation has grown 12-fold over the last 40 years. These trends show how the millennial generation is changing the world around us. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. You're listening to a best of edition of Stacy on the Right. You can download episodes of Stacy on the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hey, welcome back to the program. I want to make a uh, little caveat to the rant that I engaged in at the end of last hour where we had someone call in and insinuate that the only diversity on the Republican Party is found in the fact that we have KKK members and racists and et cetera, et cetera. Um, I want to make clear that it's not racist to live in an area that's not racially diverse. So if you live in a rural area or any area, really, that's not racially diverse, that's not racist in and of itself. And that's not what I was insinuating. What I'm insinuating is what I know to be true about a lot of liberals who live in suburban areas is that they enact policies and do things to keep racial diversity down because it's not really racial diversity. It's socioeconomic diversity. So the comments that I made to him were very specific because he was a liberal trying to call in and smear conservatives and Trump supporters on this good Christian radio station. And I wasn't going to have it without calling him out on his own innate racism that he engages in as a liberal. And I'm not speaking from what I've read. I'm speaking from what I've lived. I'm not speaking from what I've heard about on another show. I'm speaking about what liberals have told me with their own mouths. And I'm absolutely not calling anybody a racist besides that guy. And it doesn't have anything to do with people who live in 
racially homogenous areas. That, that's not the point that I was attempting to make. So I just want to make sure that I'm clear on that. Um, Ariel Davidson is a senior contributor for The Federalist and fan favorite here on Stacey on the Right. Happy Friday, Ariel. Thanks for joining in today. Thanks for having me, Stacey. Happy Friday. You know, okay, so there's so much going on. I really want to get your take on this whole Jesse Smollett thing because now uh, the Chicago Police Department is trying to make it seem as if Jesse did something to insult the city of Chicago when the real target of what he did was Trump supporters and President Trump. Right. I mean, I think what it's done also, which is really the awful repercussions of it, is it actually makes it harder for people who are truly the victims of hate crimes come forward and report them. Um, you know, I think what it does is it trivializes actual suffering that people go through. I mean, to feign the level of suffering that he did was just completely amoral, almost sociopathic. I don't know if you caught his interview, Stacey, um, on national television, where he really sort of talked down and lectured about, you know, how Trump's America had morphed into something horrible and ugly. And meanwhile, in the back of his head, he had to be thinking to himself, this is all something I fabricated. This is all a lie. This is all fake. Um, and, and, you know, what I'm, what I want to point out more importantly, though, again, is that he's really cheapened the experiences of people who have actually gone through something really horrible. Um, and that's, that to me is a huge problem. Uh, so I have a lot of resentment and animosity towards someone like that who makes up, whoever, whoever makes up any kind of false accusation and then tries to use it to win or earn sympathy points. You know, I think one of the big things that, um, Mud's story has pointed out is that, you know, we celebrate victimhood in our society now, but that's mm-hmm. the ultimate currency. That's where power comes from. Uh, and that's a huge problem. That doesn't raise a strong generation of young thinkers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that it shows a lot. It, it reflects poorly on our society as well. Well, and can I just say, Ariel, because you make an excellent point about the, the currency of victimhood. So now we're coming to find out that this... This whole episode, starting with the letter, because I just I assumed that this was all around the polar vortex, middle of the night subway sandwich run, you know, and that was the story. But the fact is, he attempted to initiate sympathy for himself as a victim by having the same two dudes who did the attack that he paid to do the attack do a letter for him. The letter was sent in. And it didn't get the reaction he wanted. And now, even as the story unfolds, we're getting even more details. It turns out he really, really just wanted a raise. So the lesson right. here, unintended or intended, is that we've now raised a generation of people who believe that it is more beneficial to be the victim of a racially motivated attack than it is to simply say, look at my performance, look at the market share, look at my social media. I'd like a raise. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, Instead of having a real conversation like an adult, um, you have to go through these horrible theatrics and involve you know, the resources of society. I mean, think about how much time the Chicago PD spent investigating these alleged mm-hmm. crimes. Mm-hmm. You know, those are resources that could have been spent elsewhere throughout the city, right? I mean, there are people in Chicago who would appreciate the cops showing up in, you know, 10 minutes instead of 25 minutes, 30 minutes, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of resources that were expended to chase down this crime that never happened, and there are actual people who might suffer as a consequence of that. That, to me, is horrific. Well, I just think about the crime. So, you know, there's always unsolved crime that that is like never going away. Right. But if you think about so uh, oftentimes when there's a crime, um, it's that first initial period after the reporting of the crime that is so important. It's crucial 
for the police department to move their, you know, their detectives into action to investigate something. And when you think about the name idea of Jesse Smollett, the the show Empire, if you think about the amount of resources they marshaled to try to figure out what happened to him, then you think about the other cases for regular people with no name ID that probably didn't get the full attention that they could have gotten in the very first, you know, hours after the report that, you know, they reported the, the whatever the incident was. It really begins to paint a picture of how this man robbed some people of justice because the, their their crime just wasn't in, investigated in enough time in a timely fashion to make sure that it could get solved. Exactly. And so that's like that's the the wasting of resources that he used in order to get himself a raise and at the expense of, you know, Chicago people living in Chicago. I mean, that's awful. And I I think it also again, it says something going back to what we were talking about before, you know, the vic- the currency of victimhood I think is really real and it and you're right, it's showing people that this is a practical this could be had it been successful, this could have been a tool that he used and at the expense of those around him. So I I think you know, I, it's it's an interesting look at what happens when, so he's had a history of doing this. He actually pled no contest, I guess, to doing some kind of racially motivated hoax letter, you know, years ago. So this is something that's worked for him in the past. But I don't see, and I, I'm interested in your take on this, Ariel. Do you see his arrest and prosecution and the backlash that he's currently receiving? He's roundly mocked all over the place now. Do you see that as deterring other people from filing these false reports, which are really epidemic on the left since the election of Donald Trump? Well, I think two things. I think the first thing is that he should be roundly condemned. I, what, what I've actually found to be more troubling is that people are saying, you know, oh, you know, we should show forgiveness to him, that this was, you know, a misunderstanding, or that we should be kind to him. He's in a dark place. Sure. But he's also an adult, and he made <laughs> deliberate decisions that you know, as you pointed out, could have potentially harmed other people who had actually suffered crimes, right? And so in my mind, I think he's a full-fledged adult and we should treat him as such. Um, and he made selfish choices and he should pay for those choices. Uh, in terms of the repercussions of, you know, we have started to see sort of, there was a, um, there were a few reporters that have, at Quillet, I believe, who have pointed out pretty handily, you know, the, the number of hoax hate crimes that have been taking place since Trump got elected. And there is a remarkable thread of them. And again, I'll go back to the initial point I made, which is every time that happens, it makes it more difficult for someone who's actually suffered from one to be believed, right? If we start to, if we have a ton of people like Smollett coming forward um, and saying this happened to them when it didn't actually happen, it makes it harder for someone to come forward who it happened to legitimately and be believed. Um, And to me, that's probably the person that will suffer the most from these types of incidents. Because now you do have people sort of saying, well, every time a hate crime is reported, now people are saying, well, did it really happen? That shouldn't be the case. You know, people shouldn't, again, we should always be, you know, innocent until proven guilty. But in terms of people being challenged or thinking that a particular hate crime was a hoax, that's sad to me. That's a sad reflection of the frequency with which we've been seeing um, hoax crimes reported. Yeah. You know, and so I'll just... I so I agree with what you're saying, um, and I you you actually made a point there about people saying we need to forgive him. He's in a dark place, whatever. But I don't feel very forgiving towards him when he says um, the police say he staged the hate attack to promote his career. He says that the reason why people are 
um, you know, opposing his story is because they have, they're politically motivated. It's, he's calling it, his legal team is calling the entirety, like the, the remainder of the story actually coming out, an organized law enforcement spectacle. Uh, they're, they're issuing a defiant message. Today, we witnessed an organized law enforcement spectacle that has no place in the American legal system. The presumption of innocence, a bedrock in the search for justice, was trampled on at the expense of Mr. Smollett and notably on the eve of a mayoral election. Well, we didn't hear anyone say that two Trump supporters wearing MAGA hats allegedly attacked Jesse Smollett. We heard that they attacked him. It was, you know, a foregone conclusion that it happened. But now that he's under the crosshairs, he's saying he wants to be given the, the presumption of innocence. It's hard for me to, to find myself saying, yeah, you know, he's in a dark place. We need to forgive him. He's not even ready for that. He's, he's, he's still operating under the assumption that we're all dupes and we believe that these two Nigerian brothers who've presented a check and other evidence that he did this, that they are wrong and he's right. I, I tend to believe the people who bring the evidence forward. Right. And I also think, you know, this is, these are the new rules the left made, right? I mean, this is, this, these are the new <laughs> rules. And if there is a system now where um, as soon as you are accused or condemned, you are you know, brought into the public space and then ostracized, right? Mm-hmm. And there isn't really this, in, in the court of public opinion, there really isn't a level of due process that's been preserved anymore. And I would argue a lot of that is because we live in a culture of accusation, condemnation that's largely been constructed by the left. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate, you know, and I, I sort of agree with him from the sense of, you know, I believe in due process fundamentally. As a law student, I believe in due process. I think it is a cornerstone of American society, and I am so grateful for it. And you know, for him to bemoan it is interesting because I would argue that when we look at anywhere from college campuses in terms of um, various accusations that take place on college campuses and the King Group courts that have formed there, all the way up again to the court of public opinion, we're seeing due process eroded in all sorts of areas of American society. And I just think it's interesting to have someone who's on the left bemoan it when I would say a lot of the left sort of cultural movement has been about eradicating due process, about how accusations hold more weight than finding the truth. Um, and right. that's been a lot of what's driven uh, the left culture war, is that we live in a culture, we live in a society of accusations. We don't hunt for the truth any longer, we just operate on accusations. And so it's pretty rich to me that he's complaining about that, because these are the new rules that the left is yeah, it's their rules, but it, I noticed that when it when their rules are deployed against people on the right, it's like, okay, this is the way it is, accept it. When their right. rules come back and bite them, they seem to be like, well, you can't do that to us. You, we, we're innocent for proving yeah, guilty. Exactly. I want to be like, we warned you. We said this was going to happen, and now it's happening. So how do you feel? Like, that's, <laughs> this is exactly why people on the right say that due process is so important. Um, because if, if it, God forbid, if someone accuses you of something, you want to be able to defend yourself before you're publicly shamed. And lose all of your, your, your livelihood and everything, which it's funny because without a conviction, they're already removing Jesse Smollett from, uh, the, his television show. They're, you know, they've already cut his, his role and, and cut the number of appearances he's going to have in the last two episodes. His coworkers have turned against him. It really is exactly what happens on the right, only it's happening to someone who's on the left. And I don't think he likes the way it feels, but he loved it when it was Judge Kavanaugh. He loved it when it was, you know, that we had local radio hosts here who just pushed off of, of the air for one tweet when Roseanne Barr, Rosie O'Donnell, a number of Hollywood stars have tweeted out incendiary things and never had anything happen to them. 
Roseanne Barr kind of got to the end of her tether when it happened to her. But it's it's such a double standard. I know. And it's, again, it's the rule. And I, and I think Jesse Kelly, who's also a senior contributor at The Federalist, had a really good note about this. He said, either fire everyone for every single thing, you know, if whenever they step out of line, or don't fire anybody. But apply the same rules across the board. And I think that's actually a pretty good way to look at it. You know, if you want these rules, apply them consistently. If you don't want them at all, then don't apply them at all. But make it be consistent. Because I think if it were consistent, there would be a lot less outrage on both sides. But it's not, right? And as you just pointed out, it's it's truly not. No, it isn't. Um, it is mildly satisfying to see it happen to someone who isn't on the right but it doesn't change what, like you just, you named off Jesse Kelly. He's been on the show a few times. He's he's a great, great guy, wonderful writer, and someone who, his Twitter feed is interesting because he is really direct and not politically correct at all. He just he just tweets out whatever is on his mind, and that's where the big <laughs> co- following comes from, right? Because people like the no-nonsense delivery. They they got rid of him. I think he hadn't even tweeted anything wild out. Like he he was actually on a mild streak when they just were like, "You're out of here." And then the backlash is what brought him back. But not everyone can mar- marshal up a backlash. There are other people who've been booted off for no reason who have not been put back because they weren't able to get enough momentum behind you know the the, the push to get them back on. Right. No. You're. I mean, Jesse Kelly had the clout and the followers to be able to get back on Twitter. I mean, you're right. There was enough pushback, but after he was pulled off. He was able to gather, you know, and enough people rose to the occasion. I don't even, I mean, he didn't even contact me about it. Just as soon as I saw that um, he had been taken off Twitter, I was outraged. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that happens a lot more frequently, like you pointed out, that happens a lot more frequently than we know about to people that maybe, you know, only have 20 or 30 or 100 followers, right? Mm-hmm. And they don't have the luxury of having, you know, a group of, a magazine behind them. So I think um, you, you totally hit the nail on the head in terms of censorship. And the inconsistency of it on these platforms like Twitter, like Facebook. Yeah, my hope is that because they're they're now even going further to to the left and saying, well, we can't we can't be neutral anymore. We have to fight. But they're I, they're under the impression that these things that are being said about conservatives are true. And I, right. I just I want to stress again, you know, it it's not true that conservatives and Republicans and Christians on the right, evangelicals, whatever group on the right you're talking about, that it's just chalked to the brim with racists. It's just not, right. not only is it not true, you can't find evidence to support it. Um, and I mean, I'm, I'm one of those proofs that it's not true. Uh, I'm on evangelical Christian radio right now. Like this is American Family Association, <laughs> an organization built to promote traditional family values. The biggest group of Uh, Christian radio stations in the country and I'm sitting here with the permanent tan nothing's changed they just you know how does that happen if it's chock full of racists if the if the listeners are racist it doesn't it doesn't happen Um, Ariel it's always a pleasure to talk to you have a great weekend yeah thanks for coming on Um, okay we'll be back with more right after this Here's what you've missed on Airing the Addisons. A former house church pastor, Brother Fu, is talking about what's going on in China. He's talking about the Chinese government, how it's made its plan clear that they want to change Christianity in China into what they would call Chinese Christianity. Fu said that there would be a retranslation or a summary of the Old Testament with some Buddhist scripture. Mm. 
and Confucian teachings <laughs> and new commentary for the New Testament. Airing the Addisons. Weekday morning, 6 to 8 Central on Urban Family Talk. Now, if you're offended by this story, you should be offended by any new presentation of the gospel mm. under any ethnic on, covering. Yes. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. But the reason we sometimes miss it is because we prefer us. Mm. There is no new gospel. Man. We live in a day when America's families are under attack like never before. Buddy Smith, Senior Vice President of the American Family Association. The war against biblical principles rages on numerous fronts. The internet, Hollywood, Washington, D.C., America's corporate boardrooms, and the list goes on. At American Family Association, we're committed to standing against the enemies of God, the enemies of your family, And we recognize it's an impossible task without God's favor and your partnership. Thank you for being faithful to pray for this ministry, to give financially, and to respond to our calls for activism. What you do on the home front is crucial to what we do on the battlefront. We praise God for your faithfulness. And may He give us many victories in the battles ahead as we work together to restore our nation's biblical foundations. The Dean's List with Janice Dean. Two patriotic kids from North Carolina make the Dean's List. The Roseboro Fire Department posted a picture to their Facebook page showing two neighborhood children putting their hands on their hearts as firefighters raised the flag. The kids had been riding a scooter and a hoverboard down the road when they paused, put their hands to their chests, and made the Pledge of Allegiance as the U.S. flag was being raised to full staff. An officer took the picture of the heartwarming gesture and asked for permission to post it on social media, which was promptly given by the two kids. He couldn't believe how many people responded. He also thinks these two kids could one day grow up to serve as firefighters or police officers because both jobs require workers to be respectful and professional, and they are being taught that now, so there is hope for the future. Thank you to those wonderful kids for being a great example to the community and to the Roseboro Fire Department for sharing such a wonderful show of patriotism. You all made the Dean's List. Janice Dean, Fox News. You're listening to a best of edition of Stacy on the Right. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. As for the Russia report, many legal experts say just because Robert Mueller is winding down does not mean the investigating stops with federal prosecutors in Manhattan and elsewhere expected to follow up on pieces of the investigation. Now, the president's legal team fully expects Mr. Trump to be cleared in all this, though the cases related to the underlying Russia investigation quite obviously will continue. If congressional Democrats are dissatisfied with what Barr submits, they could choose to subpoena the special counsel to testify. So if they're dissatisfied, that's like saying after someone is uh, found innocent of a crime, a bunch of people saying, "Mm, I'm not satisfied with that. Let's subpoena some other people to talk about this. I know you've been found innocent in the investigation, not only the Senate Judiciary Committee investigation, but now the Miller investigation is going to come back and find that the president is not guilty of colluding with the Russians. And the Democrats are simply going to say, "Hmm, I'm not satisfied with that. And that's going to fly. We're going to waste taxpayer dollars on that. Forgive me if I just sit here for a second and try to figure out how that's allowed. 
are we talking about a do-over here or are we just talking about a continuation of the same investigation until you can get the result that you want? That's called sore loser and also wasting taxpayer money. So uh, anyway, uh, there's, there's this New Jersey bill. So it was the title of today's show. And I want to be specific. The New Jersey Senate passed a bill out of committee that would keep Trump off of the 2020 ballot unless he released his tax returns. They have since sent that to the full legislature, uh, and I believe it's not going to pass. But the controversial measure would deny candidates for president and vice president a spot on the state ballot if they do not publicly release five of their most recent tax returns at least 50 days before the general election in 2020. The bill, if passed completely out of the legislature and signed into law by the governor, would bar the state's electors from voting for candidates for president and vice president as part of the electoral college system if they choose not to comply with the legislation. Now, I'm not a lawyer. I don't play one on TV, but I smell a little bit of unconstitutionality here because it seems like it would be disenfranchising voters from voting for someone that they want to vote for based solely upon an arbitrary uh, you know, condition set up by a few people. Um, now, obviously, the people that set it up are elected, so that's constitutional. But how is it constitutional to deny someone the ability to be on the ballot when they're obviously a candidate and they've met all of the other criteria, basically instituting new criteria specifically to bar one person from being on the ballot? That sounds unconstitutional to me. But again, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's not unconstitutional. I don't know what the obsession is with Trump's tax returns other than they want to be able to examine his business interests. And I used to feel like, you know, what's the big deal? Just release it. But I, I've come to a little bit of a different position on it, uh, that the president, there's a reason why he doesn't want to release the returns. And that's because he's already under scrutiny for his international business relationships. And he's the first president in the modern era to have as unique of a profile business-wise as he does. All of the other presidents were coming from the political side where a releasing of their tax returns only revealed that all they've done is be a politician and be paid to work as for Barack Obama as a senator, a state senator, and then a senator, and then all of the money that he earned from, like, you know, book deals, et cetera. President Trump has international business dealings and relations through the properties that he's built around the world and the partnerships with other you know, real estate developments, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it would also place a lot of uh, the business interests that work with him under scrutiny. If, if I'm understanding what type of tax reform, tax, uh, tax return they're looking for. So uh, it remains to be seen whether or not they will prevail and be able to force him to do this. I know the Democrats in the Senate are also working on something similar. They want to have that happen as well. Um, that to get their hands on the president's tax returns. They're also saying that they would probably uh, force the president to give up the tax returns, but it would have to be private. And so they'd get to review them in private, but they would then, like the American people wouldn't get to see them. So uh, anyway, well, I, I don't want to, yeah, yeah. So we touched a little bit on this idea. Uh, it's not an idea. It's the, the president making the announcement that they're going to uh, take away the Title X funding from Planned Parenthood. And I mentioned this story about uh, the David Daleiden, um, the, the court case that's been going on with, it, this is, this is kind of crazy. Um, 
And this was reported February 21st, so yesterday. The Judge Christopher Height of San Francisco Superior Court denied the requests of California Attorney General Xavier Becerra and his abortion allies to seal and shield from public viewing the video evidence to be shown in the courtroom during Sandra Merritt's upcoming preliminary hearing. Now, her preliminary hearing is scheduled for April 22nd through May 3rd of, of 2019, and Judge Height will seal the video evidence after the hearing, which is such garbage. Like, the videos have already been seen. So what is this now we're going to seal them so nobody else can see them? Just in case anyone's following the case and they want to see the videos, they can't see them because she's going to seal them up. But Judge Height will also allow Merritt's accusers to continue to press their charges anonymously under Doe pseudonyms. That's also garbage. They should be exposed. They're accusing her. They should be able to be named. She should be able to name her accusers. Liberty Council is defending Merritt against 15 felony charges brought against her by the Attorney General in connection with her undercover journalism work, which exposed Planned Parenthood's trade and baby body parts. Now, in an unprecedented move at the request of abortion giants Planned Parenthood and the National Abortion Federation, the AG sought to try Merritt in secret on the bogus charges and to completely prevent the public from ever seeing the undercover videos, which are alleged to have been illegally recorded. Now, Merritt's co-defendant, David Delyden, who's the founder of the Center for Medical Progress, is the first to under, they're the first undercover journalist to be criminally prosecuted in the history of the state. Liberty Council has shown that to date no other citizen journalist or journalism organization has ever been charged with a crime for undercover recordings made in the public interest. Together, the weight of the evidence demonstrates that the prosecution against Merritt is selective and discriminatory. I've, I mean, I, are we still in America? Yeah, we are. But what, what is this? They want to try her in secret so no one can find out what they're trying her for. They wanted to do that so that they could keep anyone from finding out what she was being tried for. They don't want anybody else to learn about these videos because they make Planned Parenthood look grisly and disgusting. And the people who work there, again, grisly and disgusting. So we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll, 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 again, we'll see what happens. Um, one of the most important things that can be done in, in this instance is to just keep praying for these two defendants that they would get justice. They did some amazing work. They did something amazing for the American people who didn't know. Um, we didn't know they were doing this. And when we found out that they were doing it, um, we just, it, we were so disgusted and we wanted to put a stop to it. And then Instead of being able to put a stop to it, we were told that not only were they still doing it, but that the U.S. government, you know, buys some of these parts and they use it for experimentation as well. It's just terrible. Um, so the Dow has retook 26,000 um, and New York prosecutors are pursuing criminal charges against Paul Manafort. They're afraid that the president will pardon him and... Um, so they're going to make additional charges to prevent him from getting away free. And they want to see him go to jail. Um, and then there's the Cohen bank record story. I don't know if you heard about this, but an IRS analyst has been charged in the leak of Michael Cohen's bank records. And this, 
people have to be prosecuted for this because think about what happens if someone releases your tax returns or, or your, your information. That's your banking information. It's your private information about your, your, um, you, your, your personal, your personally identifiable information that's in your tax returns. If IRS agents can't be trusted to keep that information private, secret, and secure, then, I mean, I, you know, I'm all about abolishing federal agencies. Do we need the IRS? Why not just have a single postcard? You pay 10%. The IRS gets cut down to 25% of its current workforce. And all they do is just make sure that the number that you report is the number that they have, that you move the decimal points over and 10% is what you paid by check, direct deposit, money order, wire transfer, whatever, and it's paid by the certain date and eliminate all these loopholes and eliminate all of these IRS workers. How about that? That that's one way to get rid of the corruption. Uh, so, also, um, additionally, as we were, we we're talking about this, um, in addition to this this story about the the IRS and um, NBC is now reporting that the Mueller report is not coming next week. Robert Mueller won't submit the report to the DOJ. Uh, to the Attorney General of the DOJ, he won't he won't be doing that next week. And this is NBC News. Special Counsel Robert Mueller will not deliver a report to the Attorney General next week, as previously reported on multiple outlets. A.G. William Barr was preparing to announce the completion of the investigation into any links between President Trump and Russia as soon as next week. In a letter to Barr dated Friday today, the chairs of six influential House committees suggested that withholding evidence uncovered by Mueller could be the means for a cover-up. Again, six influential House committees, meaning Democrats, suggested that withholding evidence uncovered by Mueller could be the means for a cover-up. So, uh, this is because the Democrats want the findings to be made public. Top Democrats have said any potential talk of impeachment is contingent upon whether Mueller uncovers new evidence of wrongdoing. And it's Senator Dianne Feinstein reiterating her demands that the report be provided to Congress and the public. Because the report concerns matters that implicate the rule of law, the stability of our democracy, we're a republic, and cannot be hidden away. A summary written by A.G. Barr in place of the Mueller report will not be acceptable. Oh, geez. So the Democrats say after two years of investigation and two years of direct attacks on the integrity of the investigation by the president, the public is entitled to know what the special counsel has found. Notice they're not upset that because they're going to get to know what's in the report because they're elected officials. But if the report doesn't go out to the public so they can work it around and twist it and lie about it, then it doesn't really serve any purpose. I, for one, would love just a summary so we can move past this because we know they're not going to find collusion on the part of Donald Trump. Just, you know, just move ahead. Um, in other hot news of the week, and we didn't really touch on this uh, on the show this week. It was, a, it was a great story, but we've had so much news. You might have seen, and I did post on Facebook about this, Trump wanting California to pay back the billions for the bullet train. So, where did the money come from? This is money that was a part of the Obama stimulus package. And California received two and a half billion dollars, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and they are canceling nine hundred and twenty nine million. The Trump administration is. But the two and a half billion has already been spent. 
on implementing a bullet train. But here's the problem. Their governor just announced that it was financially impossible to complete the bullet train and that they weren't going to do it. So the question would be, if it's financially impossible to do and, it, and, and, and it's a boondoggle, where's the money? Now, you know the California government has spent that already. And that's why they're calling it a clawback. Gavin Newsom has vowed to fight to keep the money. And he says the reason it's getting clawed back at all is because California is suing the Trump administration over the emergency declaration. So here's how this could have worked out. Gavin Newsom could have been sitting up, you know, with his fancy $600 loafers up on one of the coffee tables in the mansion there in California, the governor's mansion. And he could have said, you know, we don't have that two and a half billion dollars. And what we should do is we should just sit this thing out because this is the kind of political calculations politicians used to make. They used to sit down. They used to say, let's count the cost. We want to sue with the other states to stop the border wall construction. But we also just announced that we're not going to finish this high speed rail project. And we're into the federal government for three and a half billion dollars. So, Check the coffers. Do we have it? And the person, their treasurer, their state treasurer could say, yeah, we don't have it. We've spent that money. And then he'd say, well, I'm pretty sure, you know, just just judging by Donald Trump and he's a big sledgehammer. He's Thor's hammer on steroids. uh, He's probably going to claw back that three and a half billion if we don't just leave this thing alone. So maybe maybe we just don't, you know, we don't join the lawsuit. We leave it be. And it's a huge political calculation, but it's one that we have to make because we don't have the three and a half billion dollars to give back. And in the good old days, that would have been what they did because it's called horse trading and it would have been the smart thing to do. But now they've gone and poked the bear again and they're going to have to try to find that three and a half billion to give back because they're not spending it on high speed rail and the federal government has no obligation to let them keep the funds. Oh, and also... Enjoy your wall because you're getting wall. Whether whether you're suing or not, they're getting some wall. We're all getting it. All right, that's the show for today. God bless you from the heartland. Be with you on Monday. <laughs>